Welcome to episode four of I'll Have a Film, Please, Bob. This week I'm talking to my pal Amy. We're going to be talking about Charlie Kaufman's new movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is now available on Netflix. Amy and I end up having quite a long chat, so I've actually split this into two parts. In the first part, we have our introduction, like usual, have my nice chat, my nice catch up. Then we talk about the film, but we talk about it with no spoilers at all. So part one, there are no spoilers. You can listen to that safely. In part two, it is all spoilers, spoilers all the way. So if you haven't seen the film, only listen to part one and then you can decide whether or not you want to watch it. If you have seen the film, then you can listen to part two as well, which is where we discuss nitty gritty of the film, all the symbolism, all the exciting things that are going on in it. I'll be posting that up at the same time so you don't have to wait. There is one very mild swear word in part two but I don't think it's going to be bad enough to offend anyone and I will do some bobcorn this week and that'll be on the end of part two. Thank you so much, I really hope you enjoy it. In the back row with Bobby this episode is Amy. Hi Amy. Hi. Uh, how you doing hon? Yeah really good thank you, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, I just dyed my hair today. <gasps> can't see it oh, now because we turned our cameras off. I know. It looked bright and awesome. Thank um, you. <laughs> I feel like it's been, it's probably been lots of other colours, but I've not seen because it's, it's all been kind of non-in-person recently. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was thinking actually... We might cover this in our, in our first question of how do we know each mm. other, but it's been, how mm. long has it been since we've seen each other in person, in real life? A long time. And I feel like the last time we saw each other, we literally had like a 20 second conversation about running while you were reffing <laughs> and I was playing the track right. and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, quick, impart all the information, <laughs> like in between jam, not in yeah, between jam, right. but like in half time. Of course, um, we're talking about jams, and in half time, we're talking about roller derby. Yeah. Do you say derby or derby? Um, I say, oh my god, I've forgotten now. Derby, roller derby. Yeah, I say derby. Okay, cool. Yeah, roller derby. <laughs> yeah. How do we know each other? Yeah, so we met at Croydon Roller Derby. Um, I think we were in rookies for a bit of time together, and then once. I can't quite remember. You you made the decision that you wanted to do refing rather than the derbs. Um, yeah, and... I was very slow to learn how to skate as well. So I was in rookies mm. for a long time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, years. I remember. You, I remember you being there, but I couldn't remember if we joined together. Did you join at the same time as Jeff? I did. Yeah. Did you join a while before that? I or? think I joined before that. But yeah, okay. I was rubbish and I wasn't taking it very Aww. seriously either. And, you know, you're learning a new skill like skating and mm. for roller derby where you have to be a really stable, safe skater. You have to mm-hmm. take it seriously. And uh, I did not. 
So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess there's that. But it's also, you know, it is supposed to be fun, and I think if you if you if you have fun with it, you're getting what you want out of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And now I love it. So because, like you say, yeah, I uh, I played for a little bit, um, and mm-hmm. then decided not to play anymore because we did a sevens tournament in Eastbourne Mm. outside so they have their outdoor track we're playing on the tarmac on like netball court or something and then I took a hit and fell down and I landed on my arm and just bent it a little bit and it wasn't anything serious obviously we always have paramedics there to Mm -hmm. check people over and they were like, oh, maybe you should go for an x-ray, but it looks fine. And it was. It was absolutely fine. But mm. just spraining it, I couldn't pick up my son for, like, two weeks. Yeah, good. And I was like, Makes I can't think, do that. Mm. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. well, I can't be putting myself in these situations where even picking up a tiny injury, which is so easy mm. to do in roller derby. Yeah, you're right that's going to have a real impact on on being a parent. So that that was when I started refereeing was because I didn't feel mm. confident skating for just oh. a few weeks. And I yeah. loved it so much because you get to skate all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not on the bench. <laughs> exactly. Because when you're playing, you're like swapping in and out and you're having, you know, time between jams to rest. And then like when you have a jam, it's this really high energy, leave everything out there. So mm. it's quite a lot mentally, I think, whereas refereeing yeah, is more kind of um, even all the way through. Yeah, that's really funny that you say that because I, I think refereeing looks really hard mentally because you have to keep everything in your head, all the rules and kind of be on it and paying attention. But I guess it's a different kind of on it, isn't it? You're not kind of adrenaline pumped with like fear exactly <laughs> and, <laughs> so you can concentrate a bit more and you've got like six mm. other refs out there supporting you as well true it looks like a really lovely community the refs and that kind of you know runs in the middle and you you know your own little whole other side of it that exists and I can definitely understand wanting to get involved in that and not have those risks of injuring yourself because you have other responsibilities and it is it is a bit of a, a sobering thought that you you don't necessarily think about the consequences until it's brought to your attention and then it's suddenly like hang on actually how would I cope in my life with my responsibilities if I was to get injured right um, and people do things like break their legs break their arms Mm. like that's not uncommon definitely and yeah I think before I didn't for me at least I I was like well it's fine I can do my job um sat down (laughs) but I think definitely now I would not that anyone's playing at the moment but going back to work uh, but going back to Derby now I would definitely be more nervous of it because my job sometimes can involve physical work and being self-employed if I'm out of work I'm not being paid and that's that is a concern definitely what is it what is it that you do now because I think last time we were hanging out it was you were doing interior design for fancy people is that right (laughs) yeah that's right so yeah I used to work um in West London doing interior design or as you said, fancy people with lots of money. And it was very 
it was very creative and enjoyable, but it didn't feel particularly meaningful. And I think I was struggling with not feeling that I was doing meaningful work in the world. And Mm. that, along with a sort of personality clash with my boss, meant that I just decided to throw it all in, went to Japan for three months to just have a think. Um, quite a long think and then <laughs> when I came back I kind of really only decided this like in the last few weeks of being there I was like I know what I need to do and it was to set up my business which was going to be about still about the home because I'd spent a lot of time thinking about design and our living environments but it was going to be much more focused around well-being and how our homes can affect how we feel in a positive or a negative way and the idea that design actually can be and should be more about that effect on us rather than just oh I've seen this pretty thing and I want my home to look like the magazines because then I'll feel like I'm a fancy person and people will think I'm a fancy and powerful yeah yeah So the idea was going to be that, yeah, it would be kind of really trying to get inside people's heads of actually what would make their space feel good for them and to actually try to unpick that with people to get them to understand what they actually wanted. Because I think it's really easy to think that you want what everybody else wants because that's what you're being told you want. Whereas for some people, that's not actually going to serve their purpose and they're going to end up not feeling good in their home and they've spent a lot of money but that actually it's not working for how they want to use the space so it's kind of to do with practicalities like the function sort of storage how you actually use the space as opposed to necessarily what the rules are of using your space so that was kind of the vague beginning idea and yeah when I came back I sort of discovered well while I was there I discovered Marie Kondo and I got really interested in that Oh, I um, love Marie Kondo. Yeah, she's oh. awesome. She's Does so it cool. spark joy? Yeah, which is <laughs> nice. And I think I I really like her as a person. I think she's very sweet and she has a really nice attitude towards what she does. But I do think that that method isn't right for everybody because it's quite prescriptive. For some people, just the idea of the method really puts them off. They're like, I don't mm. want to go through and, and throw away a lot of what I want which isn't actually what it's about but it's that kind of vision of the approach is quite off-putting for some people so yeah I got interested in my uh my dad who Mm. will never listen to this um Mm. and nor will anyone who knows him except my brother (laughs) I'm not gonna slag him off not gonna slag him off my dad's a lovely man but he Mm. um is a collector Mm, and I don't mean a collector like let's get every edition of this thing and display Mm. them I mean a collector as in oh there's a stereo at that car boot sale if I Mm. maybe if I take apart from that stereo I can put it together with the other five stereos I have and make a working stereo but never actually making the working stereo yeah and then if you take that and then multiply that by everything else you can think of Mm. that's my dad and yeah. <laughs> and so for him yeah the Marie Kondo approach would be absolute dread fear 
oh my god yeah. I'm gonna have to throw away these things yeah they don't have an emotional connection for me necessarily but this is how I live my life you know yeah definitely and it's that feeling of like waste is the absolute worst thing that could happen and you know yeah. is that a generational everything. thing do you think it can be so it can be I mean it, it happens often in that generation because his parents probably brought him up based on their experiences of um scarcity during war times mm, and it's yeah. it's quite common in that generation to have been brought up really really thinking of waste as the worst thing because things were scarcer in their parents lifetimes and and the idea that you need to make the most of everything you have and like any opportunity to get something for a good deal is great because you don't know when something might come around again um which to be fair I think we're almost cycling back to that mentality now where we want to create less waste we want to be more frugal more careful with our money we are and I think what's really interesting is that it's this time around at least there's a focus on acquiring less as well which is much easier to deal with because then at least you're not bringing more things in all the time so it's you're acquiring less and wanting those things to last you longer so that you're not creating waste whereas I think the problem sometimes with the older generations was because of that scarcity coming up there's not such a problem with acquiring it's like oh I can get all these things and that's actually a positive thing of like bringing things in but then they still have the blockers of of sending things out and that's when they end up with a problem with having more stuff than they can comfortably live with but yeah it's really complicated and I've done some training on um, hoarding disorder from a really great charity called hoarding disorders UK Mm. it's really really quite uh, eye-opening the sorts of things that people are willing or you know not even that they're willing but the kind of situations that people end up living in because their feelings of loss when they get rid of things is so strong that yeah. they'd rather not be able to sleep in their bed, not be able to use their bathroom than have to face throwing things away. Yeah. Um, so it can be really quite devastating on people's lives. Um, but that's kind of an extreme thing. But on the other hand, I think probably the majority of us have more stuff than we really need and storage is always a problem we're always trying to fit more stuff in and we're trying to get bigger spaces and spending more money on bigger spaces because we feel we need to have more stuff and uh find space to fit it um so it's a real it's like a real range of different different levels of challenges there I'm doing big nods it's so it's so common as well you know when I tell people what I do um, I either get two reactions I get people being like I don't understand what that is and why would you need it mm. or people are like oh my dad blah 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 or my sister blah 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 or I blah 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 and it's like if you have had experience of these kind of things you recognize immediately like oh yeah that is a problem actually and it's it's causing blah 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 problems for us um yeah so, oh, yeah, thanks very yeah. much. That was good. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. But obviously, lockdown 
had meant that I can't really go into people's homes anymore. So I've oh, kind of yeah, yeah, had a bit a bit of a wobble during lockdown, and the result of that wobble was that I decided I needed some kind of um, thing that I can do without going into people's homes because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. And I'm now doing a course in life coaching, so it's very much to do with the kind of like talking support side of the work I was doing already and I can do that now from home um over Zoom. That's great. So that gives you like a more holistic approach to it as well, doesn't it? Exactly. Because it's not yeah. just focusing on one aspect, focusing on like the entire self. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, a big lesson that I've learned during this is that it seems like the problem is with the stuff, but it's never with the stuff. It's it's challenges that the person is having. Um, yeah. And so often during sessions, the conversation will go into all sorts of areas because those are actually the things that that person is struggling with. The stuff is just a kind of a symptom of that. So this life coaching gives me the ability to become better at doing the decluttering work, but also it means I can explore different subject matter and people don't always have to come to me with the stuff element it could be about absolutely anything um so yeah that's really cool what's your what's your business called if people want to need to find it yeah sure so the business is called chirp so like when you're feeling chirpy um c-h-i-r-p yes and the website is chirp-home.co.uk um, so chirp like c-h-i-r-p hyphen home.co.uk great awesome source. thank you so much no thank no you. worries uh i love it all that kind of stuff i'm um i'm like yeah self-improvement love it Yay. awesome it's something that is quite interesting to me as well of where i'm doing my autism course because they, they can often be things that come together Yes, yes, definitely. Um, there's a really great lady who's part of this association that I'm part of, and she works with people um, on the autism spectrum and also with ADHD um, who often have organisational problems. Um, and it seems that definitely it's something that can be related for sure. Um, how's your, your autism studies going? Oh, I love it. It sounds like it would be quite an intense course to do as well because it's so it's so close to home for you. Yeah, I mean, that's um, just really helpful. Like I wish mm. all carers and parents and families and autistic people themselves got the opportunity to, to do the course. Like yeah, yeah. I feel like I just was really lucky that you know, I'd never done a degree course before, so I could get all the funding mm. that um, I'm looking after Dylan. So then as well, we get funding from like the government and like all sorts of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's all been great. And then the information in the course is just like so eye-opening. Yeah. And like Amazing. I'll learn about something and be like, oh, of course, like it makes so much sense now. And it oh, teaches man. you... Basically, the whole thing, I think, caring for, for someone with different needs to yourself 
just teaches mm. you this whole other level of empathy you know oh, wow. yeah and it's amazing I always feel like I'm still learning to empathize and mm. not just with Dylan but I think that we kind of empathy is such a precious um attribute that we kind of take for granted and then mm. actually a lot of us me included are not that good at it and we see it especially at the moment where we're really divided left wing right wing politically for instance and yeah. then the ability for either side to empathize with the other side is non-existent yeah no you're absolutely right definitely you know? and there we're talking about mostly neurotypical people been through similar experiences and we still can't like empathize with each other so then taking someone who's got a different like a different thought process entirely mm -hmm. and learning to empathize with them like it's a real journey and I'm I'm really enjoying it and I feel very lucky yeah amazing yeah I, I think that's such a good point that the thing about you know the left and right not being able to empathize with each other because you know I think it's easy to think that empathy is understanding how someone else feels, but unless it's someone that you disagree with, you're not necessarily really testing your empathy. You're, right. you're, you're just thinking of experiences that you've had. And yeah, it, it's a real test to empathize with someone who you, you kind of deeply disagree with. And then again, in, in the case of autism, to empathize with someone who's point of view you don't understand and you can't really have any concept of what their experience of the world is yeah yeah exactly yeah mm. so yeah yeah I feel very lucky and learning all the time uh, that's but I'm, amazing starting I've got like two more weeks before my uh my school year starts again and um I'm a bit worried about about all this time off <laughs> I'm gonna have to, you know, buckle down, do reading, and, and all that oh, stuff. I'm sure you'll be great. <laughs> Hopefully, you've like recharged some energy, and you'll go back in with the full battery. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm glad I get like a little break between my son going to school and and me starting school yeah. because I was spent. I was done. Yeah, can imagine. Oh, I hope you get some some time to yeah look after yourself as well. So, next question. Can you give me Ooh. a brief description of your relationship to film? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a funny it's a funny one that because up until I was probably a teenager, we weren't allowed to watch um TV at home at all. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> so I do I met your mum a few times at, in Brighton, mm. and yeah. she's quite or would I say liberal leaning? Like I'd expect her to be growing vegetables in the garden kind of person. Yes, yeah. that is ex exactly who she is. So she's. It's funny because she um, she's retired now, but she was a, a neurologist, a doctor. So it's quite like scientific and high powered. But I think if you met her out without knowing that, you might think that yeah, she was sort of a ceramic artist or something yes. like that much more yeah yeah definitely um, 
Yeah, so when we were kids, we were very much encouraged to go outside or to make something or to learn something rather than watching TV. And I think we'd be allowed to watch things in the evening that my parents were watching. So like um, Tomorrow's World, I don't know if you remember Ah, that. I do. I remember seeing a lot of episodes about robots and it was like, oh, in 10 years time, robots will be driving our cars and, uh, you know, and brain surgery and they'll be putting all these things in our brains so we can sense electromagnetic fields or something. Amazing. (laughs) Um, So, yes, so I didn't watch a lot of TV as a child. I'd watch it at at friends' houses and um, we would go to the cinema occasionally for, like, birthdays or something. So I think I didn't watch a lot of films growing up other than The Dark Crystal and The Labyrinth. Those were the two that we had. So, yeah, I think I got into films really a lot when I was a teenager. And at that time, I got really into Japanese culture and um, started watching anime. So I think probably the first films that I remember feeling really passionate about were anime. Um, So things like Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Then, yeah, the Ghibli films as they started coming. So, yeah, I think that's. Those sorts of films really were, and still are, kind of films I that I really love, and that's probably led to my sort of obsession with Japan. Um, it's such an interesting path into movies. Like it's so different it? to you know, <laughs> most people that I talk to, you know, obviously have like an Anglo-American kind of um, mm. upbringing in films. So to have to come into films with quite a different perspective. Is really nice although yeah. I suppose like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal almost fit into those kind of narratives don't they they're a similar sort of storyline yeah it's like very like rich um mythology attached to them and it's all very kind of high fantasy yeah I think that real kind of escapism not very much like the real world I love Akira I saw saw it at yeah. the Barbican Centre a while ago oh cool that must have been amazing yeah when you watch it on the tv you don't appreciate the silences in it which are like stunning stunning definitely recommend going to the cinema for that one if it comes amazing yeah oh that would be i'll definitely check that out because yeah i've not i've not really picked up on that the silences um I was just thinking of the big, like, surreal scenes with the kind of explosion and the, like, slimy, veiny baby thing. Um, Yes. (laughs) Being quite, like, at a large scale, that would be pretty crazy. Stunning. Such good fun. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know Um, if I know what it's about, if I'm honest, but (laughs) but it's great to watch. (laughs) I think that's... Uh, that's what I like about them as well, that you're just like, I don't know what's just happened, but I had some feelings and uh, yeah, and that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're really like an emotional experience mm, doing that. Yeah, they are. And I think there's something about Japanese films um, that is different from Anglo-American films, that they don't explicitly explain the story to you. And there's not always sort of a real message. You know, I think a lot of the time, with western films it's like there's a lot of time setting up like this is how things exist in this world and this is some backstory whereas in Japanese films so often they just throw you straight in and you're like okay right 
this is you're having to like pick it up as you go along and kind of accept things quite quickly and similarly at the end there's no wrapping up of like this is what it was all about here's the message that we want you to take from it it's often it just kind of yeah often it sort of ends and you're just a bit confused at, at what's happening um <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> yeah <laughs> like all the way through you're like when will I know what's happening what is happening um yeah what is going on? But, <laughs> that, that being said it is often about the kind of emotional journey of the character and there might be a big moment of like them having a realization of what they've been through but not you as the audience you just you just observe that and it's like this was about them you you watching is you know it doesn't matter if you understood or not right that's really interesting I'm gonna I'm gonna go at the next um Japanese film animated mm. film I watch I'm going to go in with that kind of mindset so it's yeah. almost like a like an introverted watching experience isn't it yeah and I wonder if that comes from you know there's a real thing in Japanese culture that you're it's not really done to think about yourself too much it's more about thinking about your community and other people and maybe it's that kind of type of storytelling that it's actually about the characters in the story, whereas I think we like to watch something and it's actually about our experience of watching it. It's not it's not necessarily about the characters. Whereas yeah. Or even this, if it is it, about it, the it, characters, we want to see characters that reflect us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we want to be able to put ourselves in the film if they're mm. not either they are telling us the story or we wanna be involved in it. Yeah. Mm. No, that's a, a realisation that I've not really had before, but yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, we're getting so deep already and we haven't even started talking <laughs> about this film, which is uh-huh. it's so relevant <laughs> to all the points we're, we're bringing up. Um, that's true. So last question in our introduction, if you could re-watch any film right now, which film would you choose? Yeah, so just literally as you were saying about watching uh, a Japanese film with that in mind, I think there's a film um, called Your Name, which I recommended to a friend recently um, and she watched it. And then she sort of came back telling me about her experience and I was like, oh, I really want to watch it again now because I only have ever seen it once. I watched it on the aeroplane, so it wasn't the ideal setting. And yeah, it is a, a Japanese film and it's about, it kind of involves um, time travel and sort of alternative realities, but it's also very much, apart from the time travel element, it's very much set in the real world and it has these really beautiful depictions of life in the city and life in the countryside and sort of the small details of just quite mundane everyday life. Um, centers really around beautiful. a, a- Boy and a girl, right? Is that yeah. the right one? Have you, yeah. Yeah, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I've uh, mm. seen reviews of it and I it's just come on an on demand platform and I saw it and thought, oh that's yeah. uh is it on Netflix? It is on Netflix, yeah. Um, I think it's it's on my watch list. Awesome. I'd I would highly recommend it. It's okay. really, really beautiful. Maybe we'll have another chat and uh and talk about yeah. that next time. I don't want to um, take over your podcast. <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, I have to be mm. honest, there are not that many Japanese animations that I've watched that I've fallen in love with. Like, it's pretty mm. limited. But of the ones you mentioned, like Ghost in the Shell, I'm not very keen on. I find it quite boring. Um, mm. The studio Ghibli, Ghibli, I don't know how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I only like I'm like, I don't know, a bit of a mixed bag. I quite like Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I've watched a handful of others and, again, found them quite, you know, they're quite slow. And I'm like, now, 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 go, go, go. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are slow for sure. I'd agree with that. <laughs> so I'll give, I'll give your name a watch and then we can have a, have a discussion. Yeah. And see if yeah, see fun. what you think. Yeah, yeah. See if I'm pro mm-hmm. or against. Because um, actually, <laughs> a criticism I've had of my podcast from my brother, thanks, James, no. is <laughs> that he wants to listen to an episode where I disagree with the other person. Oh, let's do it. So maybe, maybe that's the one. <laughs> I'll just throw in some like controversial feelings every now and then, and yeah. you can strike me down. It's like they always agree with you. I'm like, well, because I'm right. Yeah, I was going to say, can't help being right. The film we're going to be discussing today is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And this was released in the UK directly onto Netflix on the 4th of September this year, 2020. Uh, what are we now? The 10th of September? Mm-hmm. So just under a week ago, it was released. So we watched it on Netflix. How do you feel about Netflix? Yeah. You're a Netflix fan? Well, yeah, I am a Netflix fan. And I have had it since the early days, um, I think, because I hadn't seen very many films I was like I need to catch up I need to like watch all these films so for me that felt like quite a good um investment to pay the money for the subscription because there was a lot on there that of like classic things that I'd never seen and mm. um, so I've been a subscriber for a long time um and yeah I like it I think there's quite a lot of tut on there nowadays as well um but just don't watch it if you if it's not for you, I think I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're doing quite a lot of original content now as well, aren't they? Yeah. And that kind of confused me at first because I was like, oh, is it really like are they just starting their own like production companies? But I think it's I from what I understand, it feels like it's production companies who are now kind of under the umbrella of Netflix. Is that do you think that's right? Yeah, I think so. It's probably a bit of a mixture of um, Netflix commissioning programs from production mm. companies and um, the other way, production companies, you know, making a, a new program and then selling it to Netflix. And probably, mm. I think Netflix do make some productions completely in-house as well. But I think that they tend to be more like real life type things, like chat show type things. Like there was the Joel McHale show and I think maybe nailed it. You know, those kind of things are uh, mm. like actual in-house. I'm not sure. Is this, a, is this a Netflix original? I'm thinking of ending things. I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure, actually. 
produced by Likely Stories and Projective Testing Service. I've not heard of either of those, but yeah. Netflix has distribution on it. So it's an exclusive distribution, I suppose, for Netflix. Okay. Yeah, so that's quite confusing, actually, if you just see Made by Netflix on it. It's sort of what does that actually mean? And it doesn't, it's not like if you see something's made by another um, production company where you kind of have an idea of what that means. Yeah, I don't know. It is, that whole area is fairly murky to begin with, I think. Mm. But I think particularly when it comes to Netflix, because, you know, they put like Netflix original on RuPaul's Drag Race, but that's made by Logo and uh, has been distributed by World of Wonder as well. Mm. And has been going for like 12 years. 12 years? 13 years? How many series are there? Gosh, I don't know. Lots. I, I can't say I've watched very much of it. I have. Uh, oh my god! I, just, I, I don't know if I should admit that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Friendship's I, I over. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. It's like such a key, like cultural thing. I like what I've seen, but I think um, I, I find like reality TV just a bit like. I'd rather escape to a kind of imaginary world, which I know is a bit... No, no, I totally understand. (laughs) I think anything like that can be a bit bit depressing, a bit taxing, because they always want a sob story, don't they? Let's find the sob story. That's true. And there's, like, drama, and it's, like, imaginary drama is fine, but when it's, like, oh, these are people's real lives, like, Mm. I just, like, I think it's probably the terrible thing in me who, that wants to be like let me help you um which isn't particularly uh, helpful um so yeah I, I I've enjoyed what I've seen but I don't think I would watch it religiously that's I'm afraid I do watch it religiously but that's that's fine we can still be friends see we can we can disagree James <laughs> There you go, James. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, uh, the film we're talking about today, I'm thinking of ending things. This was actually based on a book written by Ian Reid, uh, released in 2016. And then it was written for the screen and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Um, I don't know if you say Kaufman or Kaufman. I always say Kaufman. Do you know? Mm, I, I think it's Kaufman. Okay, we'll go with yeah. Kaufman. Charlie can correct me if he uh, <laughs> disagrees. That's fine. <laughs> I haven't, I've ordered the book, but I haven't read it yet. Have you read the oh. book? I haven't, no. Um, I was thinking of getting it on Audible, maybe. Um, oh, that's a good idea so many books to read um but yeah I would be really interested to see what the book's like compared to the film mm, yeah yeah I wonder how they'll do it we'll talk about that later yeah. <laughs> um so Charlie Kaufman he also wrote Being John Malkovich 1999 yeah. adaptation 2002 Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind 2004 now Mm-hmm. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one of my very favourite films. Yeah. Love, 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 love. So Have good. you seen his other films? Um, I've seen um, Being John Malkovich. And I think Which is great. One. Yeah, so good as well. 
Yeah, like and just I enough think, mind bending, but yeah, still a, still a and like, just linear narrative. Yeah, and just like such a bizarre premise. <laughs> like, yeah, can you imagine pitching that to John Malkovich? <laughs> just be like, "There's a portal into your head, and this will go like, and." and take over your body for a while yeah and that he agreed to it it's just I really I kind of that almost makes me enjoy it more that you're like this is you know this has gone through a process of of being pitched and agreed to yeah (laughs) um have you seen adaptation that's Nicolas Cage uh as Kaufman I think so it sort of begins semi-autobiographically that he's adapting a book to a screenplay and has this like unraveling of his mental health um during it is it good it's very good yeah I'd uh, Mm. I'd definitely recommend it and then Eternal Sunshine the Spotless Mind have you seen that one Yes, love it, love it, love it, love it. Oh, it's so good. So good. Um, and I think that film is probably the first film I ever saw that was confusing in that way. And I was just like, what is this? Mm. Amazing. Like, I love coming out of a film not knowing what's happened, um, you know, and having to go back in and be like, oh, so that was that. And you can have conversations about it. Yeah, amazing. And you can watch it over and over and over again and find something new. Yeah, absolutely. Even like on the fifth watch, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I love that it's a really quiet version of science fiction as a science Mm -hmm. fiction fan, you know, because it's not spaceships, it's not laser guns, it's not a dystopian future. It's this one technological advance and then the way that people have used it oh you're so right yeah because that yeah the the film wouldn't work with that without that technology but it's almost not it's not a big deal that it exists it's just like yeah we have this now yeah Um, yeah it's a little bit like black mirror in that way yes I'm not very keen on black mirror but Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh. <laughs> Another disagreement. There Another disagreement, James. Today is the day. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Why? What would you say that you don't like about Black Mirror? Oh, do you know, it's hard to put my finger on, but it's. I really enjoy that kind of science fiction, um, mm. and. But I don't enjoy that kind of BBC sort of feeling. Oh, I don't know. It's something about the acting as well. Like it feels a bit like they're in on the joke. Um, Mm. I don't know. It's something about the feel of it that I don't enjoy and puts me off. And I'm not entirely sure what it is. Um, Mm. and then the other thing because I'm like this is when people go have you seen Black Mirror it's so (laughs) 
And I'm like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, totally. Uh, that's so interesting what you said about the BBC feel to it, though, because I know exactly what you mean, but I can't pinpoint it. It's yeah, it's like got a bit of a like Midsummer Mysteries. No, what's that called? Midsummer Murders, Murders like production yeah. value, like almost almost mm. a bit amdram like it's something yeah. I don't know what the word is it's something in there that I find a bit bleh, yuck mm, interesting <laughs> sorry sorry everyone <laughs> um so back to Charlie Kaufman he also mm. wrote and directed Cynic Docky New York now, I, again, pronunciation. Is it Cynic Docky? I don't know. That's what we used to say when it came out in Blockbuster. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not aware of it, and I don't, I've never seen that word in my life until this so time that you've written it to me. I know that it has, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman okay. um, in the lead role, and it's another, you know, sort of mind-bending interesting kind of film but I never watched it and I do need to and then he okay. did one called Anna which I've actually never heard of that was in 2015 so that was actually his last film that really Before rings about I'm just googling yes this one was like um it almost looked like not play animation but some sort of thing like that like puppets or yeah mm. like puppets. And it's this kind of like very grey middle-aged man, and then he meets this woman called. Oh, yeah, I I can't remember enough about it, but it was, yeah, it was like weird and sort of, yeah, I I don't I don't remember enough about it to be able to describe. It. I think it's quite short. Um, but it's it's cool. Once as far as I re- remember. <laughs> it's <is> good. <laughs> <laughs> this is my summary <laughs> yeah uh yeah I, t- I had forgotten about it until I just saw the cover now and it's like oh yes that was the thing but yeah similar kind of surreal things of sort of you're not quite sure what the actual reality of the story is right which he's so good at yeah yeah so he hasn't um been I mean, I just took this from Wikipedia, so there may be more. Maybe my information's wrong. But these, like, big titles, there's not that many of them, but they're all, Mm. like, super memorable and really, like, singular stories and films. And I think that this film, I'm thinking of ending things, is just the same, maybe even more so, like, pushes that boat, whoosh, way out. Yeah. Way out. So the synopsis for this film on Netflix is nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at their remote farm. And it's described as a psychological thriller, which even that I think is really interesting that it's yeah. a psychological thriller. Yeah, because reading that, you're like, oh, there's going to be like some kind of element of fear in there. Yeah, um, and, and you are expecting it. Mm, there are so many hints in there that you're like, 
oh yeah this is yeah something really sinister is going to happen and that really affects your experience of the plot as it goes because you're like oh is it coming now like (laughs) is it this person is it that thing is it Mm -hmm. this that they mentioned half an hour ago yeah yeah amazing really like throws you off again even just something as simple as the genre yeah yeah and on that sort of the whole feeling of uh, like disquiet that you get while you're watching it um Mm. did you notice the aspect ratio was in four three I did not until you wrote that and um that's funny that's the kind of thing um that I never think about and it's the kind of thing that um my ex-partner would often point out that the screen was the wrong size because he was a photographer oh. and I would just be like I would never it didn't even cross my mind and so thank you I for think that's that. probably that's probably a positive for Kaufman because even like I used to have to have to have to have to notice the aspect ratio for when I worked in broadcasting <laughs> have to yes. have the right aspect ratio and yes. I didn't even notice until I paused it and I was about half an hour into the film and I was like oh wait mm. it's in 4-3 and I hadn't even noticed which I think really speaks to the method of storytelling that they were using it for But in this kind of context, I think a 4-3 aspect ratio gives you a sort of claustrophobic, closed-in feeling because Mm. we know that it's unusual, but we can't put our finger on what's happened that's unusual. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And those kind of the black bars either side of the screen, it's sort of squeezing it in almost. Exactly. Exactly. Which yeah, I think is was... very much the feeling of the the main character. Well, I'm gonna say main character. I don't think I'm not sure that that's correct. With the the focal character that we follow throughout the film is like her whole demeanour is that she's closed in, that she's trapped. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um that yeah we're not sure if she is the vocal character um but yeah um very much like a claustrophobic feeling throughout it and also um a big part of that is that a huge part of the film takes place in the car with just the two of them and they're just sat side by side there's no movement and they've got the walls of the car either side of them it's very yes just literally com- like compressed and even outside the car, it's snowing. Yes. So mm. you're even closed off with the scenery outside. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Damn. man, it's such an interesting film. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? So great. When I was watching it for a second time, I was like making notes and notes and notes going, oh, that must be what this is and this is what this is. And yeah. it's just so like filled with symbolism and Mm. uh, the language and you're thinking oh does this link to that thing that's later on and it's so interesting I could happily watch it a third time round um even off just from what I learned watching it the second time but 
now after we speak about it, I definitely want to work to it at that time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> talking about the central character that we follow, that mm. is a woman played by Jessie Buckley, who has similar hair to yours. <laughs> Her hair is much nicer than mine. I was admiring it most of the film. It's just like so beautiful. She in the beginning when she's getting into the car we keep hearing her repeat the title of the film I'm thinking of ending things and um I when I first watched it I was really questioning what she meant because when I saw the title I thought oh no this film is going to be about suicide right mm. because that phrase I'm thinking of ending things is so open to interpretation uh-huh which I think obviously is intentional. and But we get the impression that she's talking about her relationship. Yes. Yeah. With That's a man played by Jess Plemons. I recognise Jess Plemons, but I don't think I've seen Jessie Buckley in anything else that I can think of. No, I don't reckon. I don't recognise either of them, actually. Um and it's funny that their names, their first names are so similar. Yeah. <laughs> Just weird side note there. But yeah, I, did, I didn't recognise either of them. Not big name actors. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And we get a voiceover from the female character throughout. So all the way through, it's definitely through the car ride at the beginning. Yeah, I think it, it does continue into their into later but not I'm not sure how to describe it I don't it continues definitely to a certain point but then it does stop um and I think I say it's lessons I, isn't it yeah yeah in the tradition of Kaufman films that it's got that kind of transient dreamlike quality about it that mm. it's has time I think as a central theme and that becomes more and more clear as the narrative goes on yes and it's a film I will say it's a film you really have to watch you have to pay attention to yeah you can't be on your phone at the same time for sure no you can't have it on at the background if it comes Mm -hmm. back on at the cinema and you are able to go to the cinema then I think it's a perfect film to go to the cinema for it is quite long I have to say there were a couple of points in it watching it the first time where I was like uh, like come on <laughs> like I'm ready for the next scene now um, yeah me too is it it is wordy it's one of those uh-huh. kind of it's a cerebral kind of film and it mm. is unapologetic about that so it's two hours 14 minutes altogether which to me is a long film and especially for that kind of genre as well where it is mm you know, you're having to really pay attention, you're having to really watch, and you're having to work things out. It's quite a tiring experience, I think, but probably yeah. worth going to the cinema for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you're sort of just mentally prepared that it's going to be a long one and that you're going to need to use your brain, I think it will be fine. But I think if you went in there thinking it was going to be an easy watch, you probably would get tired. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Can I say something about the colour scheme, which yes. is not related to spoilers? Go ahead. Yeah, so um, 
First of all, the wallpaper, the William Morris wallpaper, is so beautiful. Is it William <laughs> it's Morris? Like, oh. Yeah. It's like, and it, there's like loads of different ones all in the house. And it's just like really, really beautiful. And it's on the on the poster and in the opening credits as well. There's this wallpaper. And yeah, I don't really know if there's any significance to that or whether it was just a choice. Um, they make so a that motif was, out of it, though, don't they? So They do, yeah. But it is a real motif in there. But the colour scheme of it as well, I thought was really interesting that there's this real blue, teal kind of look to everything except for her, the main girl. She is, Ooh. at the beginning, she's orange. She's got this red hair. She's wearing an orange jumper and a red coat and a red hat. Lots but of that actually warm colours, yeah. Yeah, but that changes throughout the film. What oh, she I'm have to rewatch it again. Yeah, <laughs> like keep an eye on her jumper because it changes colour and her coat throughout the film. Ah, because I kept an eye because I thought, oh, she's wearing the same things, mm. but there's something different. I didn't clock that it was the colour palette interesting yeah. oh this mm. film oh my goodness yeah it's amazing <laughs> so we are going to finish there for this episode and if you haven't seen the film now is your chance to go and watch it if you don't care about watching the film and you're happy to hear spoilers then <laughs> I'm gonna put them in the next episode okay so we're gonna continue having a chat um and I'll split it between two episodes because there's so much for us to talk about. All right, we'll catch you guys in a bit. Thanks so much for listening to part one of I'll Have a Film, Please, Bob. Big thanks to Amy for being the contributor this week. Please do head over to part two where you can hear the end of our conversation. Like I said before, it is full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film, now is your chance to go and watch it. If you don't care and you're not going to watch the film, but you want to hear what we've got to say about it, then go ahead and listen to part two. I'm not going to stop you. I am not the podcast police. Are there podcast police? I hope not. Fingers crossed. I don't know the podcast laws. Creative thanks go, as always, to John, Jackie and Els. And thank you very much for my logo, Sophie B Designs. I hope you will join us in part two. And if you don't, I hope you'll join us next week on I'll Have a Film Please, Bob. <laughs>